You are listening to season three of the Not Neurotypical podcast. I'm your host, Laura Stan, and this season has a very new big plot twist. So hold on tight, strap on your seatbelts, because it's still going to be a bumpy ride. And is that bumpy ride ever going to get smoother? Season three of the Not Neurotypical podcast is proudly sponsored by Timo, the award-winning app designed to support neurodivergent people with routine and scheduling. Head to your app store and type T-I-I-M-O to learn more. So... It's me again. I may release two podcasts in one week. Unheard of. (laughs) But anyway, I am doing a second podcast pretty quick for this week because I wanted to share that one, I will not always do a video podcast as I let you guys know a while ago. And two, my goal and plan as of right now with my current situation, which could change at any time with the state of the world, is to release a podcast every week on Tuesday. Now, weeks where Tuesday doesn't really work out, I will go ahead and release it on Wednesday. But for updates and things like that, you should definitely subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you are listening to it on. Follow the YouTube. It's youtube.com slash not neurotypical, all one word. And also follow me on Twitter for updates. It's at Laura Stan, L-A-U-R-A-Z-D-A-N. And I'll put all these links in the description. And before we kind of dive in today, I would love for you, if you love the podcast, please leave a review I believe it is a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, I should say. That recently changed. So if you could leave a review, let me know what you think. And also, if you have any uh, recommendations or things that you think I should improve or how I can make this podcast more accessible for you, let me know. My email is laurastan, L-A-U-R-A-Z-D-A-N at iCloud.com. So this week, I don't really know exactly what I want to talk about. I've been going through a lot of stuff. Um, As we discussed in the last podcast, I, I don't know. I am processing so much. And also, I think people don't always realize that processing isn't just the current situation. Like, we are often processing, at least me, I am very often processing things from last week, last month, last year, (laughs) uh, processing how to handle things that are coming up in the future, Um, because I, I don't know if you've ever watched Atypical, but I am exactly like, um, I'm forgetting the lead character's name right now because I haven't watched it in a while, but, um, the lead character, he often scouts out new restaurants to see how he's going to feel about it and things like that. Um, I'm the same way. If I know where I'm going and what to expect, I'm totally fine. But if I don't, depending on the situation, I could be a total wreck. So not only am I processing current 
and past things, I am often preparing myself for the future, uh, trying to get things together. And right now, my kids are all in school for the first time ever in my life. I have two kids. My youngest two children are in preschool. They started about three weeks ago, and we are finally getting into a flow, uh, which is great. And all of us need that because, like I've said a million times, I'm autistic. All three of my children are autistic. And we all thrive within routines and schedules and kind of getting on a flow. And so sorry about that. Okay, I always have my ringer off. Are you like me? Um, I'm super, super sound sensitive. And when my ringer is on, I just, it's just so annoying. I can't even stand it. Um, So sound sensitivity on its own uh, or the concept of being almost put into a violent state from noises that annoy you and things like that, that is called misophonia. That's M-I-S-O-P-H-O-N-I-A. I think I spelled that right. Um, and that's very common, probably most common within autism. Um, but a lot of people can have it. You can have sound sensitivity with, um, I just totally blanked sound sensitivity with, (laughs) oh, sensory processing disorder and common within ADHD as well. And even neurotypical people and people with traumatic brain injuries and things like that. Um, it's something that can happen to can happen. I say it like that. I don't know. It exists with a range of people, but most common within autism. Um, and I get that really bad. And my phone, if it has noise on, just drives me friggin' crazy. I can't stand it. So um, my phone that just made noise, trust me, probably annoyed me more than you. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we all have been getting into our schedule. It's been about three weeks now. My son started virtual school in Philadelphia School District. They started everyone out virtually which he was dreading because he is a very visual kid, which I think some people are like, I think there's, I really think there's different types of visual learning. He is very visual, but also very spatial oriented. So learning on the internet, even though it's very visual, um, the teachers are creating more visual things for the kids than normal it still does not work because he is very influenced by his environment and it's very hard for him to get in the zone at home. Um, When you're in a class with kids, even though there are more distractions, it's just like you're in the zone. You're there. Okay. You're going to school. You know what to expect. Online, I think every class just kind of feels like it's fake or something. I don't know what to say. I would have had the same exact struggles as a kid. And I really feel for kids right now, um, especially kids who are twice exceptional, um, low income, kids who don't have supports that they need, or even kids who had supports that they needed and lost them right now. I feel for them so much. It's so hard to comprehend what's going on in the world right now. And kind of figure out what 
it's going to be like in the future? Like, how is this going to affect kids long term and all of us? It's just wild. So the past three or four weeks, my family has been kind of getting in that new flow of everything. Now my girls, they go to preschool three days a week in person, which has been really scary for me. Um, because you just don't really know what to expect. Is it safe? Is it okay? So far, the preschool that they go to is very, very responsible. Everyone wears masks all the time. No one is allowed in except the kids and the teachers. And they spend as much time outside as they can, which for now, the weather's been gorgeous in Philadelphia. We are, it's actually the official last day of summer, the equinox or whatever it's called, uh, that starts sometime today, I think. So today is the last day of summer, first day of autumn. So the weather's been beautiful. The weather around here, in my opinion, is perfect this time of year. The leaves start to change. There's a chill in the air, but the sun is still hot. It's just like perfect sensory experiences. Lots of breeze going on. Oh, I love it. But anyway, so we've all been trying to cope together with all of this. And it's just been wild because everyone's kind of been struggling with their own stuff. And as a mom with my kids, it's just like you have to personalize it, especially neurodivergent kids. You have to learn. I always say you have to learn to speak their language. Like that's what I needed. And what puzzles me is that you have to do that with every kid. But for some reason, when the language, quote, end quote, language, or when the style looks different or seems different, it's just less accepted in this world. But when a neuro, neurotypical kid loves reading, parents can't wait to buy them a lot of books, right? It's like, oh my God, like this is amazing. My kid loves reading. They're going to be so smart. <laughs> and they go out and buy them all kinds of books. They ask them what they're interested in, what kind of books they want. They get really involved because that's something that's seen as good, generally great for children. Um, but when a neurodivergent kid is maybe deeply into video games, um, it's not, it's seen as a problem. It's seen as something that isn't as acceptable, which kind of blows my mind because especially nowadays, like people who create video games, there's tons of jobs that they can go into in the future if that's like their passion. And parents discourage it because they've been told video games are bad. Um, but that's just one example. Um, maybe kids get into something that seems kind of odd to a normal or typical parent, I should say, uh, like collecting things, collecting rocks or whatever. And the parents might be like, I don't want these disgusting rocks in my house and all of that, or collecting any type of thing that's common within neurodivergent children. Um, and what happens is parents don't learn to speak their kid's language and learn their kid's style of communication and things like that. 
Um, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a neurodivergent adult that would say, no, I didn't need that as a kid. Because I think this is a universal issue. This is something that neurotypical children typically have. They're supported because it's easier, technically, quote-unquote, to support them in our current system. It's easier to encourage their passions if they seem quote unquote normal and all the other kids are forced to make it easy because it's not easier. I'm neuro I'm neurodivergent, as you all know. All three of my kids are neurodivergent and it's not easier. I get that. Like it's it's not easy learning a language of your child when they're totally like on their own planet. <laughs> Um, I personally love that about my kids because I find it fun to like get to know them and try to figure it out. It's like puzzles for me. I could see if you are a typical parent that that might be really hard and maybe not as fun. But, you know, when you strip away all the society crap and and labels and everything, uh, that's your job. Like... <laughs> Raise your kid, prepare them for the future, raise them to be a good human. Uh, that's essentially the job description. So if it's a little harder, I don't feel bad for you. Um, it's harder for me. It's not easy. I love my children. And I know it's not easy. I know that. And especially when you have three neurodivergent children who are all on their own wavelength, I know that's not easy. Uh but it's our job to kind of make the most of it, right? And for you spouses of neurodivergent people that may be typical, it's the same exact thing. But how is that any different than any other relationship? All relationships are, you know, learning each other and figuring out how to support each other and figuring out what communication styles work best for each other and things like that. Um. Of course, you have to do that together, but that's no different whether you're neurodivergent, neurotypical, um, whether you have a communication disorder, quote, or, you know, it's all the same. It just looks and feels different when it's not what you were taught to do as a child. And it's the same mechanics though, and it's the same things. And when you are neurotypical, people seem to flock to that style of everything because that's what we're taught is right, which is wrong. It's wrong. <laughs> um, but that's what you're taught. So when things look and feel and seem that way, it's just easier because that's the world we were taught to live in and be and support and thrive in. But there is a huge, giant, huge group of people who don't thrive in that environment. And it's kind of time to figure that out, wouldn't you say? <laughs> um, there's tons of people working on that, but it's, it's time to talk about this stuff and figure it out and essentially call out the 
uh, double standards because let's call it as we see it. All children essentially need the same things from us. It's going to look different for each child, but every child with ADHD, every child who is neuroatypical or different is still needs all of the exact same things that neurotypical children need. It just may look different in some ways. And for a lot of kids, a lot of it is the same. It's just certain things like supporting their interests and things like that. And maybe they have a harder time focusing. But, you know, when a teacher has a kid who has a harder time focusing or a support worker or things like that, part of their job is to keep the kid engaged and keep them figure out what works for them. It's no different for a parent. It's no different for a spouse. It's no different for a sibling or a, I wish, a job. (laughs) Um, But that's a whole other podcast. We've touched on neurodiversity in the workplace and things like that before, and I would love to do another one on that, but that's a whole other podcast. But it's no different. Um, All of us are learning and figuring things out about the world around us and the people around us. And I think if people were taught even just a little more how to accept or be around, how to understand how to be around different types of people and not just skin color or culture, but also neurodivergent different types of neurotypes and things like that, different types of support needs, different types of um, everything, I think it would be a different world. And I think it has to start with children. It's going to be very hard to change a boomer. (laughs) I think we all know that. It's going to be even harder to change whatever the generation above them is called, our grandparents' age. And it's going to be hard even at this point to change the mentalities of Gen Xers, which are, I think they're like around 40 to 55 around there, that age group. Um, Millennials are growing up and I think a lot of millennials are, I'm an older millennial, so I kind of feel in the middle of Gen Xers and millennials because I didn't have a cell phone or internet until my later teens, like not even like preteens or anything like that. Um, So a large chunk of my childhood was just with TV, still spinning records and VHS and tapes and um, basic cable at that point. Um, like, I think my family got a microwave. I think I remember that when we got a microwave. (laughs) Uh, I don't even have a microwave now, by the way, but, um, I don't know. It's like one of those things where I just feel kind of in the middle. I definitely don't relate to the kids who grew up with like completely connected their whole lives. Like I didn't have social media until I was well into my twenties, um, So I don't really relate to all millennials, Um, but I think there's a lot of things that we need to address and talk about and call out. Like, yeah, it might be harder in the present situation, 
but it doesn't mean that harder isn't worth it and it doesn't mean that harder isn't essential. Um, and it's been hard right now because I've been learning, like I said, you learn your kid's language and that language may change over time and things like that. And you constantly have to stay connected with your kids. And, um, you know, my youngest two, Chloe and Gigi, they are three and four and they're about to turn four and five. So they started preschool and this is brand new for them. And you have to learn what they're going to need during this process. And transition, as everyone knows, is not as easy for autistic kids um, and some other neurotypes as well. And, you know, they've been struggling a little bit because it's a brand new schedule. It's draining. Um, Same for my son, because this is the first year where he knew he was starting virtual and was dreading it. Very high anxiety, uh, needs a lot of extra support and things like that. And it's just, it's tough to support three kids at once. Um, The emotional labor and the labor in the home is typically put on me. Um, Not that my husband doesn't support me or anything like that, but he can be a little old school and not quite understand what I'm talking about when when I say things (laughs) like... Um, sure, you go to work, but you know, this is the support I need in this situation. Uh, the idea that it's just like my job just kind of pisses me off, if I'm being honest. Um, because I used to work, um, I used to bring in quite a bit of money into the family, you know, with my own business, but it's like, with COVID and everything and the kids, you know, having a range of support needs themselves, um, it's been really hard to try to do that and kind of coordinate everything. So my, this past year, my role has changed a lot in the family. I'm like trying to be Susie Homemaker (laughs) and I never wanted to do that ever. Like that, that was never, I was never, uh, What's the word? I never, I don't want to say this in a negative way, but it's true. So I'm just going to throw it out there. I never even wanted to be a parent. Um, I was very uncertain that I would be a good parent at all. And now that I have kids, which was by accident all three times, (laughs) uh, I have executive functioning challenges. Don't judge me. But now that I am a parent, um, I would not change anything. I would still have three kids. Um, maybe not so close together like my last two. I had two kids within a year. They are 360 days apart, and I would never recommend that. <laughs> I would never do that on purpose. But um, it happened, and whatever, we dealt with it. But it's like one of those things where I didn't want to be a parent. It happened by accident. Um, I was a wreck my whole first pregnancy. I didn't know what to do. Um, I was scared. And the second my son was born, it all made sense. It all worked out. I was so happy about it. Um, but it's not something that I dreamed of my whole life. So when you are a kid who 
you know, total tomboy. Like when you think of a tomboy, that was me. I never wanted a wedding. I thought even as a kid and still think weddings are absurd. I enjoy going to them because, you know, free booze and (laughs) you eat a free meal and it can be fun. Uh, sometimes depending on the wedding, I, I don't mind going to weddings, but that was never my dream. Never dreamed about getting married, never dreamed about having kids. Um, never thought like dreamed of a dream guy or something like that was always really just all of that is so weird to me. Um, I never was into princesses. I never wanted a Prince Charming to save me. Uh, I just never related and still don't relate to any of that. And my point being, now that I'm like forced into this Susie homemaker role because my husband was an essential employee and all my kids are stuck at home and my business was shut down through COVID um, and all of my kids' supports that they need have changed, I am now officially Susie homemaker and I'm kind of losing my mind a little bit. Um, I never go anywhere. I never do anything. It's really hard. It's, it's hard to make the most of it. Um, but I do try and I have enjoyed a lot more time with my kids, especially cause my son is in fifth grade. His name is Hunter. Um, and he's been home, you know, he, he has been in school for years now. So having him back home a lot is really great. And I, he is actually from my first marriage. Yeah, I didn't even want one wedding. Uh, so instead I eloped twice. <laughs> uh, I'm on my second marriage now. But um, he goes to his dad's house on the weekends. And um, so I've really enjoyed having him home because it, a, a lot of the times during the school year, it feels like I barely see him because I have him Monday through Friday. And he's in school most of that time. So I have enjoyed the time with my kids. What I haven't enjoyed is being solely responsible for this new job and all of the pressure because as I say all the time I'm demand avoidant and it's like well (laughs) someone tells me to do something and it's like not doing it even if I wanted to. It's like a jerk reaction or knee-jerk reaction or whatever that saying is and I, I just like have to avoid that but I'm really really trying um and I have and I shouldn't complain because so many people have it so much worse right now and and um but still you know that this is what I'm struggling with um and going through all of that and then trying to support all three of my children and learn their languages um is really hard but Um, speaking of learning languages, I wanted to highlight like one situation that happened recently. So a really sad childhood memory that I have that has never gone away and probably sounds really silly, but it's like one of those things is, um, when I was a kid, I was really into Metallica and obviously like my mom and dad (laughs) really weren't. And, um, when I was younger, my mom had a birthday and 
I was getting a little older. I can't remember what year this came out. Hold on. I'm going to look it up because I want to see how old I was. Um, I'm looking it up. Okay, so that Metallica S&M record or album, it came out 1999. So I was getting older. I was probably 14 when that came out. What? April. So I was 13. I was turning 14 later in the year. Um, oh, no, it came out in November. So I had just turned 14. I was getting older. Um, and being 14, like, I, I was really struggling around that time because middle school. <laughs> um, and I loved Metallica. The S&M came out, you know, with the... Um, the orchestra behind them and everything. Um, and I bought my mom that album for her birthday, uh, or maybe for Christmas or something. And it was like when you're getting older and you start kind of getting your parents their own gifts. And it was so clear that she was just like, oh, great. Whatever. Like, kind of like, Oh, she has no clue. I don't know. It was weird, but I got this huge vibe that she was just like, I don't even give a crap about this. Um, and my mom's a nice lady. So, um, she probably was like, huh, thank you. But I knew, I knew it was like, she was like, what the heck is this? <laughs> um, but this was me saying you love classical music and I love Metallica. Let's share this. Um, and I was, deeply hurt I probably had a meltdown I think I kind of flipped out and then came all the lying like no I love it I love it but I knew that was a lie um and it was too late and it just hurt but I didn't have the skills or the awareness or anything like that to even verbalize at the time that I was just trying to reach out it was like a gift to me it was like really thoughtful it was like I thought it was something we could share um my parents in the past had kind of liked those types of releases. Like they loved November Rain with me from Guns N' Roses, which is more, you know, has like the orchestra in the background. And um, I guess I thought we could share it and we couldn't. And my mom like didn't get it. She didn't speak my language. And this story, by the way, is not like my mom sucks and I'm such a better mom. I just want to highlight that. But I wanted to share something that ha recently happened with my son my son for my birthday made me a Minecraft mansion for my birthday. But here's the thing. This kid is like the most amazing designer and he builds so good on Minecraft. But not only did he build me a mansion for my birthday on his Minecraft account, he built a mural outside. He knows I love murals. If you didn't know, Philadelphia is the mural capital of the world, and it's, like, very celebrated, and I really like murals. So he built me a mural, and it's a heart, and it's outside of the house, the beautiful mansion that he built me, and it has a couple um, notes on it, and it says, like, I love you, um, you know, thank you for everything you do for me. I know you try so hard, and I was 
I'm going to tear up again. Oh my God, I cry every friggin' podcast. What's wrong with me? Anyway, I was touched. I bawled and I was like, this is like the sweetest thing. And, and it was super detailed, super intricate. He even made me like a house that I would love in real life and love to live in and details out the wazoo. Like he put built-in bookshelves under the stairs and like stuff he knows I say that I love from HGTV. So it was extremely thoughtful and aware of what I love. And he built that for me and it took him like three days. And I think five years ago when I was not aware of any of this type of stuff, I probably would have been like, oh, thanks. You built me a Minecraft house. Like, just like my mom did. Oh, thanks. Okay, great. But now knowing what I know, this was my son being deeply thoughtful and deeply aware of things that I love and then thoughtfully trying to give me those things, but in his language. And this is what I'm talking about when you have to kind of learn the language. It looks different. No, he didn't go out and buy me or, or ask his dad to get me something that I love, like the traditional society, like gift giving and all that. Um, it's on his Minecraft account, but he's 10. He gave me something that he could do um, and give to me. You know what I mean? And it took him a long time. He put so much thought and effort into it. It's so sweet. And I bawled. And honestly, it's my favorite gift I've ever gotten to this day. Like my favorite, like no one's been so thoughtful. It's just like so sweet. No one's worked on a present or a gift for me for days. Like who does that? My son does. And it would have been so easy for even me years ago when I didn't understand this stuff to just kind of not see all that, all the layers underneath that and how thoughtful and amazing that is. And wow, you know, like don't miss that stuff. Learn the language of the people around you. And I just want to let you know, like other neurodivergent people have to still learn the language of other people as well as neurotypical. Like we need to learn those skills as well. This is relationships. This is how we build relationships. So, um, you know, I'm neurodivergent. I still had to learn my kid's language and I used to not know my son's language um, until I really, sadly, until this really, really deeply affected me and I kind of wrapped my head around all this, then I was kind of able to learn those things. But it's so, so important because the most meaningful and deep gift that I've ever received could have so easily been totally missed and totally misunderstood and totally just invalidated. And, you know, I think about the things that I might have missed in the past, and it makes me really sad. Um, and we don't have a lot of time on this earth with our families and our best friends. And, you know, get out there and learn the language of the people you love. 
don't miss those things. Like, I can't even imagine if I missed that. Um, you know, and I'm not talking about the silly love language thing you see online. <laughs> um, I'm talking about each individual's style of communication and learning it and loving it, learning to love it. Sometimes you have to learn to love it and sometimes you just understand it and get it. You know, it's going to be different. So once again, if you love this podcast, please, please leave a review. Let me know. Uh, recommend the podcast to people that you think you might need it, that who might need it, and follow me on Twitter. All the links will be below. I'll keep you updated, and you can look for a podcast for me from me every Tuesday, hopefully. But subscribe so that you get the notifications. And once again, reminder: the Patreon will be restarting in October. So if you want to go ahead and become an unlearner and start your unlearning neurotypical journey or your unlearning neurotypical family journey, head over to patreon.com slash unlearning neurotypical, but wait until October 1st or you will get charged for this month and charged October 1st as well. Or if you want to support me, go ahead and go over there now and sign up and um, you can get charged twice. <laughs> uh, just saying, Patreon is technically a support platform. I've had some people sign up who didn't quite get that and said they didn't feel like they were getting their money's worth. And I just want to reiterate, and that's okay, you know, they didn't get it. I didn't take that personally. Um but just a reminder that Patreon is a support platform, which means if you believe in what people do, you can then become a supporter and then you get benefits from that. So there may be months that I don't post as much because I have a lot of stuff going on or I'm just not mentally where I am able to be to do that. And some months you're going to get a lot of beneficial content. What I can promise you is that I will try to even that out for you and make it worth your while. But any support is welcome. Support for my Patreon goes directly to neurodivergent adults because we still have the Autistically Squad and that costs money. And making a podcast costs money and, um, you know, advocacy costs money. So if you um, have some extra money to throw to me, that does go to neurodivergent adults and keeping this podcast going. I would really appreciate that. So thank you, and I will see you next week. Mm-hmm.